1: Welcome to True Crime Garage, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that I've been trying to prove for years is really Marco (laughs) Did I even get that close. Benny Bambazo. And he has ties to the mob, but we know him as the captain.
2: Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening, and thanks for telling a friend.
1: Today we are drinking Dark Cloud by Mother Earth Brewing in North Carolina. Garage grade, three and a half bottle caps out of five. This is a Munich style Dunkel Lager. This beer is aged three times longer than most beers and don't let the dark color fool you. Dark Cloud is by no means heavy or bitter. It's so good to make you dunk on your pants. And Dark Cloud was brought to us by, first up, we have Julia in Phoenix, Arizona. Next up, we have Diane in Aurora, Colorado. Here's a shout-out to Robert in Mansfield, Texas, and in the hills... We have Thomas from Texas. Cheers, mates. And a big shout-out to Christina
2: in Quincy, Massachusetts.
1: And from parts unknown, we have hashtag Team Captain from Mr. Stag. And mm. last but not least, we have Kendall in Russellville, Arkansas. Thanks to everybody for helping us fill up the fridge for this week's shows. If you want to help us out with next week's beer run, go to TrueCrimeGarage.com and click on the donate button. If you'd like to follow
2: us on social media, check us out on Facebook, Twitter instagram at true crime garage
1: that's enough of the business everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime calhoun georgia police and investigators from clay county north carolina are looking into the disappearance of sean patrick mcduffie jr of calhoun Sean was last seen on Sunday, December 20th, 2015. This is when he planned a trip to North Carolina, from which he was scheduled to return within a day or two. A friend spoke to him by phone on December 21st at about 6.30 p.m., and that is the last contact anyone has had with Sean since. Investigators have interviewed several people pertaining to this investigation, and are continuing to follow up on numerous leads. His rental vehicle, a gray 2015 Dodge 1500 pickup truck, was found abandoned on December 30th, 2015 in Clay County, North Carolina. The detectives in North Carolina have expressed concerns of foul play in Sean's disappearance due to evidence uncovered in their jurisdiction. Sean Patrick McDuffie Jr. is a Caucasian male, At the time of his disappearance, Sean was 27 years old, with short dark hair and blue eyes. He is 6 foot 1 inches tall and weighs about 140 pounds. Anyone with information as to the whereabouts of Sean Patrick McDuffie Jr. is asked to call the Calhoun Police Department at 706-629-1234. By the end of 2015, Sean Patrick McDuffie Jr., according to the state of Georgia, was officially a missing person. On December 20th, 2015, before hitting the road, Sean asked his ex-wife if he could take his kids along for a ride to North Carolina. It was going to be a quick trip to drop off his friend Eric Brown. Sean's ex-wife, well, she knew better and she said no. Because Sean likely had more than just dropping off his friend in his plans. Around 9.30 p.m. that night, Sean picked up Eric Brown and away they went. Eric to Clay County, North Carolina, and Sean into a missing persons file. Now, Sean Patrick McDuffie Jr., his life was not an easy one. Some kids have a bad childhood. Sean, he was raised by a monster. Sean's earliest years would be filled with severe violence. From the start, Sean and his little sister, Megan, had the odds stacked against them. As children, life at home was lived on the edge and full of fear. Their father, Sean Patrick McDuffie Sr., was a drug-addicted tyrant, a man who used fear tactics and pain to control his wife and children. The family only survived because of the kid's mother. This is Kathy McDuffie. While she had stopped loving Sean Sr. a long time ago, she stayed with him because he had warned her many times about what would happen to her if she decided to leave him. So Kathy did everything she could to try to keep the peace and try to provide a normal childhood for her children. But to do that, to keep the peace, she knew her and her children, they had to follow the rules that were laid down by Sean Sr., an unreasonable and selfish man.
2: Well, not only would he beat his wife, but to escalate things even further to torture the children. He would beat his wife in front of the children.
1: Now, when little Sean Jr. was about seven years old, he would at times, this is at the point where he's going to begin to stand up to Sean Sr. Well, one time his dad locked Sean Jr. out of the house, and so Sean Jr. broke a window to get back into the house, and he had enough. Now, mind you, even at this young age, he is going to know how to be extremely violent himself because he has witnessed extreme violence so much in his young life. So Sean jr. Goes and grabs a knife from the kitchen and he takes it over to Sean senior and he holds the knife against his father. Like I said, this was when he was just seven years old. Mm -hmm. Like you can't even, you can't even say that things are spiraling out of control in the house because by now it's already out out of control and the kids are just seven and four years old. So, Extreme chaos, basically, inside this house. Yeah,
2: this is not a house party of violence. This is a hotel party of violence.
1: So staying there eventually became impossible. Kathy realized the path her family was on could not continue.
2: Right, and what a difficult situation when you have kids involved. But you have a situation where if you leave, you are been threatened with possible the murder of you, possibly the murder of your, your children. But you also are stuck in a situation where if you stay, this is going to continue.
1: Oh yeah. The violence is going to continue. And if you, if you stay, it might be a death sentence as well. Right. It could escalate to that. And it, and it seems to be on that path. And you know, it took a long time, but somehow Kathy, she found the courage to leave, but you see no one leaves Sean Mm senior. He found Kathy and he found the kids and he ordered Sean junior and Megan to sit on the couch And then he explained to everyone, to Kathy and to his children, that nobody leaves him. And he demonstrated what happens when somebody does leave him. He then proceeded to slit Kathy's throat in front of his shocked children. Sean Sr. fled the scene and the kids helped their mother and called 911. The authorities arrived and transported Kathy to the hospital and with three eyewitnesses, Law enforcement started the case against Sean Sr.
2: And the amount of trauma that these children had to deal with. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's unimaginable.
1: Well, this horrible crime took place in March of 1996. So Sean Jr. and his little sister, Megan, the kids, they would have only been about like eight and five or, or nine and six years old at the time. So they're still very little kids. Yeah, Sean Sr., he was tracked down and arrested. He was charged with and later convicted of aggravated assault and two counts of cruelty to children. For this, he gets 20 years in the can. Kathy survived this horrific attack, but the pain was far from over as she suffered through a long rehab from the injuries.
2: He didn't get charged with attempted murder?
1: Mm, he may have, but the conviction was for aggravated assault. hmm so uh, I, Captain's I don't. Is not happy about that. One. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what he was charged. He should of. have
2: slit his throat.
1: There's some little bits of legal jargon involved in those, in those charges.
2: Right. No legal jargon. If you just slit his throat, then send him to the you know ER. But slit his throat first.
1: Well, these were horrible injuries that Kathy suffered from this attack, and she suffered through a long rehab from these injuries as well only to come out the other end of this thing addicted to painkillers. And as we have discussed on this show so many times, and unfortunately we see it on the news daily, people easily get addicted to things like painkillers, to prescribed medication. And when they can no longer get what they need, uh, they become reliant that they've become reliant on, or it gets too expensive. Well, Kathy, like so many others turned to street drugs to fill her addiction.
2: Well, things a lot big pharma.
1: And this ultimately would mean that Sean jr. And Megan, well, now they had no one. Their father's locked up and their mother has come out of this addicted to drugs.
2: Now the kids are going to be placed into foster care.
1: Yeah. Sean jr. He ended up living with one foster family and Megan, she was a little bit younger. So during the course of her childhood, she would live with two different foster care families, but Sean Patrick McDuffie senior, Well, his violent history, it actually started well before he met Kathy and well before he ended up having two children with her. Right. In 2007, an old dying man has one last wish left, and it is something this poor man had to wait a long time for because way back in 1985, on February 21st, Kelly McDuffie, age 24, and his wife, Bobby Michelle McDuffie, age 20... They were found dead in their home on Squirrel Street in the Bonnie Dune community. Both had suffered sharp force trauma to their upper bodies, authorities said. News accounts at the time reported when, when they were found, a butcher knife was still in Kelly McDuffie's side.
2: Yeah, Why, why wouldn't they just say like stab wounds or, or is it because how the butcher knife would hit them.
1: That I don't know, Captain. That's a good question. I, I wondered that myself, but but all reports state suffered sharp force trauma. Mm-hmm. And with a knife being found in one of the victims, you would think it'd be fairly obvious that it would they were stabbed to death.
2: Well, I think that's the first time we've ever heard that we normally hear blunt force trauma.
1: Right. Maybe this is a uh, <laughs> I was going to say, maybe this is like a, a fancy backwoods term for mm-hmm. stabbed to death. Sharp Suffered sharp force trauma to their upper bodies, mm-hmm. but now looking at this captain, I think mm-hmm. what they what they're calling a butcher knife, they're probably actually mean like a cleaver.
2: Yeah, that's where my mind went. That's what I was uh, thinking. Okay, it was okay, a cleaver.
1: So my bad. You were trying to clean that up for us, and that's probably why they use that term, uh, because of the weapon that was used in this attack. Now, Sean Patrick D- McDuffie, senior. He's the brother-in-law to the two murdered victims, and he actually lived with his brother and sister-in-law at the time of their deaths, of their murder. So he was considered the prime suspect very early on in this investigation. Now, this causes him to flee all the way to the state of Arizona. Well, at some point in 1986, he is located and arrested. They find him in Phoenix, Mm -hmm. and they brought him all the way back to Fayetteville.
2: So let's just be clear. We got this violent douche nozzle right Mm -hmm. and he's living with these two people and they're murdered his brother and his sister-in-law right and they're murdered and then he's a suspect and then he goes on the run yeah he goes like forrest gump on the run and then they find him Mm -hmm. and he's not charged with the crime
1: No, no, no. They find him. They bring him back all the way to Fayetteville. Mm -hmm. They, they charge him, they book him and he's jailed for this while they're going to await trial. Okay. You know, but what ends up being, there ends up being an issue here, probably some technicality. I don't know because I couldn't find the exact cause of this with, Mm -hmm. you know, and exact details of McDuffie's arrest. But a judge at some point said that there was no probable cause for the arrest and so he's released. The case went cold and it wasn't really being worked.
2: As, I'm so confused. There's no probable cause. He's a he is the number one suspect in this murder.
1: Well, he's a suspect, but but you have to have probable cause evidence to arrest the guy. Mm. And I like I said, I we don't have the details of it to so to kind of dig through it would be we we we, right, we wouldn't right. know if there was wrongdoing or or if this was rightfully turned over or not. But what we do know is once McDuffie is released, this case goes cold and it wasn't really being worked. In my opinion, it basically just sat there closed until over 20 years later. And we've seen situations like this before where the, the guys and girls that have to go out and work the crime, the investigators, the police officers, Mm -hmm. they, they, this is a situation where they know who did it. Basically, and a lawyer, a prosecutor saying we can't convict. So it's kind of a it's kind of a closed case. You know, it's other cases hit your desk. You start working them and you just kind of have to be reluctant and and know that this one might have got past you somehow. Well,
2: right. And the fact that they collect all the evidence and then they try to bring this guy to trial and it can't happen. I mean, I don't know how much more they could do unless they could get him to slip up and confess you know that that would be a very difficult thing to be a part of law enforcement to you know pretty much know a hundred percent that somebody is guilty especially of a heinous crime like this right a double homicide and you can't do anything it's like your hands are tied behind your back right
1: and so basically it sits closed it's technically an open case but as far as the people working it, it's kind of a a closed case until over 20 years later, this is when Bobby McDuffie's dying father, he asked investigators to please take one more look at this thing. Mm -hmm. You know, so he, he actually asked a uh, family friend to contact the Cumberland County Sheriff's office and ask them to reopen the case. So with the aid of investigators who worked the case back in 1985, they got new homicide detectives on this They were all on the job together, working through this thing, pulling you, using all their resources together to, to get this thing down, get it done once and for all. Mm -hmm. So they dug through the boxes of evidence, looking at investigative notes and crime scene photos. And even all these years later, everything that they had really still pointed to the guy that they had suspected all along. Sean Patrick McDuffie senior.
2: You would think that there'd be some kind of DNA or fingerprint or, or something.
1: Well, the interesting thing here is their guy that they like for this double homicide. Well, he's not out on the run at this point. He's sitting in a cell, uh, for trying to kill the mother of his children.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: He's sitting in a cell down in Georgia. So, Time would only prove that Kathy had been right all of those years about not crossing Sean senior. She was right to be terrified of leaving him and setting him off on some kind of murderous rampage because he was, he was already a murderer by the time he met Kathy and married her and had children with her.
2: Yeah. He's a real prick nose.
1: So while he's in prison, the per, the police had a chance to question him about the double homicide cold case and close Close to 24 years to the day after the young couple was found slain in their home, a mm-hmm. grand jury indicted Sean McDuffie Sr. for these two murders. He was 48 years old by the time the charges came down the wire, and the charges were two counts of first-degree murder. Sean McDuffie Sr. took the opportunity to then confess to killing both people over a what he referred to as a drug dispute. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably a slippery way for him to avoid the death penalty is my guess. What was life like for these children living under one roof with a, a seething murderer? How do, how do these kids come out mentally healthy from this type of childhood? I, I, I cannot even begin to wrap my, my head around that.
2: It's almost impossible.
1: And like we said, it you know, Kathy came out of this situation addicted to drugs, but it, It took some years, but she found the strength to beat her addiction and to get her life back on track. She reestablished her relationship with her children, and she began to live as much of a normal life as she possibly could. Her relationship with Sean Jr., her son, healed, and they loved and maintained contact with each other. Megan, the daughter, became the rock of the family. She was the most stable of the three, and she grew up to be a great mother, a loving and supportive daughter, and she did her best to be Sean Jr.'s sister and friend. Sean was able to, he was unable to finish high school. It it wasn't that he wasn't smart enough to make passing grades. He began to take up with the wrong people. Mm -hmm. For Megan, she escaped her father and entered into foster care at a younger age than her brother. And that was what got her out of the cycle of violence. But Sean, he was only in foster care for a very short period of time. And so it seems like he never really got very far from that cycle of violence and drugs. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Everyone is still talking about Monopoly Go for a good reason. It is an absolute hit. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Like countless crazy tournaments, you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Or timed events, offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in. With Monopoly Go, there's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now free on the App Store and Google Play. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If
2: you're thinking of starting therapy, I highly recommend that you give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule.
1: With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious, from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code True Crime Garage 50 at Factormeals.com slash True Crime Garage 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
2: All right, cheers mates. For all of our old episodes, check out the show on the Stitcher app. And for our weekly show off the record, check out us on Stitcher premium. That show is called off the record.
1: Cheers to you, captain. Well, eventually Sean jr. He fell into drugs and he became deeper involved with drugs. And when this took place, his mother, Kathy and his little sister, Megan, who is now grown realized that they both had to take a step back. So they didn't get pulled down or sucked into this cycle as well. They've already experienced this. Once and more than enough for one lifetime. Mm -hmm. As time went on, Kathy kept in touch with Sean Jr. who now had kids of his own. She was always there, you know, if anybody needed anything, but at a a bit of a distance. And Megan was there watching from the outside as well because she wanted to keep her her own children away from the negative influences uh, that she saw in her brother because she grew up with this stuff. And she was not going to put her children or have her children witness the things that she had to experience in her young life. Now, this is an interesting case for us, Captain, because we were asked to cover this one. And it, it was interesting in a sense that we were asked to cover it. And there's really no information out there that's easily accessible or readily available to to tell the story of this missing person. Sean McDuffie Jr. Mm -hmm. There, if you go online or if you go to the news sources, you will find mention of him. You will find mention of him having gone missing and the, his vehicle being found. Ultimately though, you will find more information on the cases involving his father of the double homicide and of the attempted murder of, of Sean Jr.'s mom. But there's really not a whole lot of information on Sean Sr., either or his horrible crimes. So, and there's even much, much less regarding Sean Patrick McDuffie jr's disappearance. So what we had to do here is something that we don't get a chance to do with every case.
2: We just made it all up.
1: Yeah. And it's a really good story. No, we, we, what we did was we reached out to some people in the, the small town of Calhoun to find out what was going on because Sean Patrick McDuffie, Junior, he went missing in 2015. The reason why we were asked to cover this case, and I you know, I had to tell the person outright, I don't know that we can because I don't know that there's enough information here for us to be able to tell a story. I mean, it was literally if you look at the stuff, it's literally a five minute story. Mm -hmm. And so I said, All right, let's see what we can dig up. Let's get some people involved and see what we can find in Calhoun and what's going on there. Because the reason why we were asked to cover this case, Captain, with, it, with him going missing in 2015, we're about two and a half years into his disappearance. The, there's the threat of this case going cold, and going cold very soon. And if, if things don't start to happen in this investigation, we may never know what ended up happening to Sean Patrick McDuffie Jr., so we're going to go through stuff that we found and things that we uncovered when we spoke to the people of Calhoun. So Sean Jr.'s path in life may have forever been rerouted when he and his cousin DJ were robbed during a drug deal because this would be the first meeting with a woman that we are going to call Stephanie. Mm-hmm. Now, rumor- That's not a real name. Correct. Rumor has it that Stephanie is a bit of a big deal regarding the drug scene in Calhoun. Now, I read some statements given that some people think that at one time she may have run the meth business in Calhoun. According to other rumors in Calhoun, Stephanie had a practice of setting up drug deals and also setting up a staged robbery at the same time. This way, she would get the cash and be able to keep the drugs as well. So she she wins. She wins. Pays off some fake robber or robbers Mm -hmm. and all else involved. Well, they lose and they get scammed. This was not a uh, one-time deal for her either. She did this setup job on several occasions on one incident. It is stated that Stephanie even paid a woman that we will call sunshine. Sunshine she paid her about $20 or so to punch Stephanie in the face after one of these stage robberies went bad because she needed to further stage the scene, making it look like Stephanie herself was a victim in this situation. Now, remember Sean and DJ, they had been robbed by Stephanie during this drug deal. So later, Sean and DJ, they, they now know what actually went down at some point. And one night while Sean and his friend Tyler were out driving around, they spotted Stephanie on the streets. And after they saw her, they decided they were going to go and get their drugs back or their money back, whichever was stolen from them during the stage robbery. Tyler wanted to approach Stephanie immediately, but Sean wanted to go and get DJ, the other person that was robbed in this situation. They picked up DJ and later they found Stephanie at some kind of hotel. Now, DJ approached Stephanie and demanded drugs or cash or both from her because of this robbery.
2: So they basically roll up on her and say, hey, look, we know what happened.
1: We want our stuff back.
2: Yes. Stephanie, you little skank. We want our stuff back. Now, we either we're either going to get the drugs back or you're going to give me the money for the drugs.
1: Right. And at that time when they roll up on her, she didn't have drugs or cash on her, but she had an idea. And Stephanie's supplier is a dude that we will call Biggin. They here's his, her idea. Mm-hmm. She's going to get Sean and DJ in on a little bit of this action. She can't give them back cash or give them back drugs. So what she's going to do is she's kind of a big deal. These two guys are small time. She's going to let them in on some of her action by introducing them to her supplier that we're going to call Biggin. So. What they did was they had DJ and Tyler stay put, but Sean Junior decided he would leave and go with Stephanie to meet this Biggin character. Mm-hmm. While there, wherever this rendezvous took place, they received drugs. Uh, that this was supposed to be the equivalent of what was stolen from them. So this is a way of to kind to introduce them to to this supplier, Biggin. and as well as give them back some of what they were robbed of.
2: Okay. I'm just trying to follow you. We got Sean jr. We got Skinkosaurus Rex, Stephanie, and now we have Biggin, mm-hmm. and they're going to give them uh, a set amount of drugs that will, but they're not giving it to them. They have to sell this, this, the, these drugs.
1: I don't know what they have to do with it. It's my understanding that they were given some, uh, stash of drugs to repay them for the robbery that they were aware of. Well, this, we say that this may have rerouted Sean Junior's life because there's a chance that this whole robbery deal, meeting Biggin, and then Stephanie trying to make amends with Sean, right. this could be the start of possibly what led to his disappearance. Because after Stephanie makes amends with Sean Junior, it it starts to look like you know. Remember, we said Stephanie is rumored to be some sort of boss. So from the outside looking in, it actually now looks like Sean is working with or most likely working for Stephanie at some point that they developed a working relationship. So what this for this new working relationship to begin, an old one had to end, meaning Stephanie would not be creating a new position or a new job for Sean Jr. She would actually be replacing someone with Sean Jr. And that brings a guy that we will call go forth into the picture. He was a guy that worked dealing for Stephanie and to put it plain and simple, go forth, played the role and played the role that now she had promoted Sean to. So Sean's in go forth is out. This left go forth on the outside looking in. And as one, as, as we all should expect disrespect in the drug dealing business and in these criminal activities is not, would not be taken lightly. Right. So as rumor has it, go forth was not going to let what he had worked so hard to earn be so easily taken away from him by this new Johnny come lately newcomer, Sean jr. So he let some people know that he was interested in removing Sean from the drug game. And if it meant that he would have to have Sean jr killed, then so be it. As reported to us by many, Goforth ran around town letting everyone know what he thought of Sean Jr. and what he wanted done to Sean Jr. Now, in typical drug dealer slash drug addict fashion, Sean Jr. wanted to make a lot of money, and a lot of money very quickly. He had limited funds to do so, so he had very limited funds for buying a large amount of drugs that he could turn into even more money. So this Purchasing a large purchase would be impossible for Sean Jr. It's rumored that he came up with the idea of stealing a large amount of drugs so that he could sell them, turning that into a lot of money.
2: Right. Well, Stephanie showed him how it's done.
1: Well, and Sean's, Sean Jr., I guess the rumor is that he decided to rob the only big-time drug supplier that he knew. This was the man that he was recently introduced to, Biggin. Biggin. Yeah, remember that's Stephanie's drug supplier. Mm-hmm. So here is what we, we have uncovered. And this is not definitive. It's simply the narrative as far as what we could dig up at the local level here. But this is, to break it down, basically the word on the streets. Okay. So someone <laughs> stole a large. I'm sorry,
2: you just said that almost as white as possible. Go ahead. I'm ready.
1: But but I think that's the most clear way and simple way to explain the information we have here. Right. It's
2: coming from the streets.
1: So anyway, someone stole a large brick of meth from Biggin. And the person who stole this large, and valuable brick right. was Sean Jr. Now, if this is true, well, then you don't need to be a drug kingpin to dream up the bad things that could happen to Sean Jr., right? Because... Not only would this make him a problem for Biggin, but this is a bad situation for Stephanie as well because this could only be perceived as her having made a bad judgment call for introducing Sean Jr. to Biggin.
2: Yeah, or it also doesn't rule out the possibility that she's involved. I mean, we have this lady drug dealer uh, that is stealing drugs and creating these false robberies. So is it possible that Biggin has this missing drugs and they go, Well, we think that it's Sean Jr., but is Stephanie involved in this? Was just the whole meeting in general, you know, concocted by Stephanie in the first place.
1: Well, the other issue too that we have, Captain, is we, we also have Goforth, who already is said to have it out for Sean Jr., but but now, you know, if I'm GoForth Okay, and I know about this Biggin guy being stolen from or robbed. Right. I could make a good name for myself as far as Biggin's concerned and Stephanie. Hell, I I could impress Biggin enough. Maybe I could even replace Stephanie.
2: And we can't say for certain that Sean Jr. is responsible for stealing this brick of meth. But what we can say for certain is there's a lot of people believe that he's responsible for it.
1: Yeah, and I don't even know how this whole stealing or robbery thing would have went down um, but we did talk to at least one person that said that quote Sean seemed to be like a kid in a candy store as he broke up the brick of meth into a large plastic bowl and he was running his fingers through it. Well he's a drug addict. Yeah but more importantly for Sean in this situation he's a dealer and what this means no, no, is no, no no no
2: no see that's where people get hung. Yes, he he's stealing or hypothetically we think he's stealing this these drugs for money, right? But the the drug the drug addict always trumps the drug dealer.
1: Okay, I see what you're saying, but he, the reason why he seemed to be so happy according to this person was he was thinking about the amount of money he was going to make off of off of acquiring this brick. Mm-hmm. So now let's get to Eric Brown. Eric was the one that was traveling with Sean just before Sean went missing. And Sean Jr. met Eric Brown through Stephanie. Eric, according to several sources, is a dealer from North Carolina who comes to Calhoun to meet his drug contacts and pick up drugs to sell on the way back to North Carolina. The easiest way to break this down for you, why this Eric individual would do this, is that the meth is so readily available in Calhoun that he can purchase it for much cheaper than what he's going to sell it to in these other spots, because like everything it's supply and demand, these Mm -hmm. other locations where he's moving these drugs to the, the supply doesn't equal the demand. So he can make a bunch of money doing this, making this traveling to Calhoun, picking up these drugs, selling them on the way back to his home or even selling them in his hometown. So during one of Eric's visits to Calhoun, actually, to be perfectly clear, Captain, this would be like an extended stay. And this would be the last visit that Eric would make to Calhoun before Sean Jr. would go missing. But during this extended stay, Eric and Sean, they spent their time trying to make money. And this, of course, mostly involving them attempting to successfully exchange drugs for money and money for drugs. After one of these afternoons, I guess Eric called Sean and asked him to look in his rented 2015 gray Dodge Ram 1500 pickup truck. This was for a thousand dollars. This is money that they had made that Eric thought that he had left inside Sean's vehicle. Sean said that he checked the vehicle and then later informed Eric that there was no money left in the car. Now, Eric is, as we said, rumored not only to be a dealer, but he's also a drug addict. Right. And, uh, um, you know, he called this being paranoid or whatever, but Eric seems to think that Sean was lying to him and that Sean just ended up keeping the $1,000 for himself.
2: Well, this is also what happens when you hang out with shady people. If you hang out with people that sell drugs or steal drugs or steal money, you know, you get involved in illegal activity this is the kind of stuff happens, you know?
1: Well, and there's no real friends in this situation. You right. know what I mean? All these people that they're, they're associates because they can make money or trade drugs together. But at the end of the day, none of them are friends.
2: Well, the funny thing about it is, um, the original pilot for the friends, um, uh, TV show was about drug addicts and drug dealers. Well, I don't know if you knew that
1: the rumor, the rumor here though, captain is going to be the Eric, has told some people that he considered Sean to be a thief, that Sean stole the thousand dollars from him. Right. And there's no honor among thieves. Right. So this has led some to believe that Eric has something to do with Sean junior later having gone missing because Eric has been quoted as saying Sean stole from me. He took money. I'm sorry. He took food out of my kid's mouth. Right now. Also let he lets his cousin Derek know. Okay, so Eric tells his cousin Derek mm-hmm. that he was going to kill Sean for stealing from him. Okay,
2: so I'm just trying to keep this clear, right? So so Sean Jr. goes with Eric a couple times on these drug dealing trips. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, what's the one guy's name that wants to kill Sean Jr.?
0: Well, Eric...
2: Well, Eric, but the other guy go forth, go forth. So we got two guys and then we have a possible, we have these rumors circling that Sean is a thief. Sean Jr. Is a thief and he stole from biggin. Right. And now biggins out to get him, but also connecting it back to Stephanie, Stephanie
1: and see Stephanie's kind of the nucleus here. If you're trying to figure this thing out, Stephanie gets her drugs from biggin. Okay. And she's the one that introduces Sean Jr. to Biggin, and she introduces Eric to Sean Jr.
2: Right. But when you say it like that, and I'm not trying to throw you under the bus, I'm just saying when you say it like that, it's like she is the one that introduced. No, no. She stole a bunch of money and conned these guys, and then they caught her, and that's when she introduced them. Right. Right. I still think that's cynical. You know, uh, there's uh, something. Um, diabolical with that plan of her introducing these guys to, to Biggin.
1: Well, for her, it seems to me like she needs people moving and selling these drugs for her. And every time, you know, think of it like a pyramid scheme. Biggin's at the top, He's giving a bunch of drugs to Stephanie, who's then filtering it out to these different outlets to these other small-time drug dealers, and then she steals it back from them. <laughs> right. In some yeah. situations, stealing it back from them, but all the money works its way up the uh, pyramid scheme. You know, it 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 all helps out Biggin and then Stephanie and the trickle-down effect to these low-level drug dealers. What could you imagine if I
2: if I set up a fake robbery, right, and then I paid you? I mean how much would I have to pay you to just punch me in the face?
1: Uh well according to the stories that I've heard the going rate no, no, Stephanie a- set up was 20 bucks.
2: Okay so I pay you 20 bucks you got to come in here come into the garage when Biggum's going to be here right? We're going to be selling some drugs. We're going to stage a robbery. You're going to have a bunch of guys with you but you got to come in and punch me in the face. I'll give you extra 20 bucks to <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's a-
1: yeah my my guess is the way that this goes down is either the the staged robbery takes place at the time of the exchange or just shortly after
2: punch me in the face.
1: And then in this situation if if the other party uh-huh if I suspected that they kind of knew what was going on this is when she's saying hey behind the scenes you know uh, either right in front of them punch me assault me or behind the scenes at least I can show up with an injury and I can go look same shit happened to me. Right. You know, and and then she looks like she looks like a victim as well. So I want to I want to get into this vehicle situation a little bit. The, the, the r- Sean, the rented truck. Yes. OK, so a little more information on this rented truck. Sean Jr. had received some kind of settlement for a car accident that he was in. And because of the accident, Sean's car was in the shop and he had rented this vehicle. This is a 2015 gray Dodge Ram 1500. Cool truck. At the end of 2015, Eric asked Sean Jr. to drive him home for Christmas. This is so Eric could see his kids for the holidays. Mm -hmm. Now, Eric and Sean, well, they're not going to make this trip for, for no reason at all. They hatched a plan to acquire a bunch of drugs or buy a bunch of drugs. In Calhoun, and they're going to do, in typical Eric fashion, they're going to make multiple stops on the way back to Clay County, North Carolina, selling the drugs all along the way. Mm-hmm. Now, they could make more money, as we stated. They can make more money in these other towns doing this.
2: Now, where are they getting the drugs from?
1: This, I don't know. And this is why I want to be clear here, stating that their plan was to acquire drugs or to purchase drugs. Right? I don't know if they purchased a large batch or if the large batch that they intended to sell was that same batch that was stolen from Biggin, Mm -hmm. I'm a little unclear on the time of that, of when that went down. Okay. In comparison to Sean jr. Going missing. It sounds to me, all of this stuff that we're discussing here now, mind you, we're getting a lot of this information from drug addicts, drug dealers, people that know them. Uh, so the, the dates are a little skewed.
2: Well, yeah, very trustworthy people. They take a lot of notes.
1: But the thing is, all of this seems to be going down in a relatively quick amount of time, meaning within within the course of a month, maybe two months. Right. So this is all happening happening very rapidly. So they're going to make this trip, Eric and Sean Jr., and they're going to make you know sell drugs along the way back to Clay County. So on December twentieth, two thousand and fifteen, Sean Junior picked up Eric. He ended up picking him up at Derek's house, Eric's cousin's house. Right. Remember, Derek is the one later that would tell people, "Hey, my cousin Eric said that he he was going to kill Sean for stealing that thousand bucks." Right. One thing I wonder about that, Captain, is that's one of those situations where you wonder about Eric. Was was that just something said in a fit of rage, like in the heat of the moment, like oh, I'm going to kill this guy, or
2: was it really? <laughs> I don't think he would say it like that, but maybe.
1: But no, you you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Rather than sitting down and very calm and cool and collectively saying, "Look, I'm going to this is Sean Junior. I'm going to wait till the time is right. I'm going to take him out. He took a thousand bucks from yeah, me. Yeah. It's it's much different. You oh, know? Yeah,
2: yeah. I think you know in passing where it's like, oh, uh, yeah. I th- I think this guy stole a thousand bucks from me. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm going to kill that motherfucker. You know what I mean?
1: So the thing here is he picks up, Sean Jr. picks up Eric, and they leave Calhoun, Mm -hmm. and they do sell drugs along the way back to Clay County. Now, the final meeting to sell drugs was with a guy that we will call Jericho. And as usual, this
2: is a lot to keep straight. Just to let you
1: know. No, I know. Mm -hmm. Trust me. As usual, a drug dealer and a drug deal is never just plain and simple. There's usually some some shit that gets in the way. Mm-hmm. So apparently, Jericho didn't have enough money to buy the drugs from these two. Whatever amount was agreed upon in advance, he didn't have that.
2: Oh, I, I love that. You know, you, hey, you put something on Craigslist, right, or Facebook Marketplace, somebody shows up, you say, I'm selling a van, right? Mm hmm. And they're, they're offering tradesies, they're offering you a t-shirt.
1: Well, what they're going to do is the three of them would go around to local stops and sell drugs to make up for some of the difference. And when that failed to produce enough funds, Jericho decided to barter a couple of guns, a couple of handguns in exchange for the rest of the money that he still owed. Mm-hmm. So after this deal was completed, Sean Jr. dropped off Eric at Eric's parents' house, and then he started his way back to Calhoun. Now, Eric stands by his story, stating that the last time he had saw Sean Jr., Sean was driving away in his rented truck.
2: All right, so they go to make this drug deal. We got Sean Jr. He's hanging out with Eric. They got a bunch of drugs. We don't know how they got the drugs, but Eric is going to visit his family. Sean's going to drop him off, but, hey, we got to make this lucrative, right? Mm Got to get lucrative on this trip, and then they meet Jericho, right? right? Now, Jericho, you know, he's not wrestling in the WWE anymore, so he doesn't have enough money to pay for the drugs, so he has to try to round up drugs. He can't get enough money, so then he decides, hey, I got these guns barter with you drug deal is made it's done mm-hmm. at this point we have two people in the rented truck we're back to sean jr and we're back to eric sean jr takes eric to his eric's family's house and then sean jr is gonna head back home correct and but eric, he's never seen from again
1: well we'll hang on there and we're gonna what we're gonna do here is we're gonna squash one big rumor from calhoun right away So in Calhoun, there's always been this rumor of, well, Sean Jr. went to Clay County, North Carolina. He was killed there and he was never seen again. So we can go ahead and squash that rumor because on his way back to Calhoun, Sean Jr. was actually spotted on two different surveillance cameras. The first sighting was at a Walmart store. This is where Sean Jr., he bought batteries for a flashlight and he bought I have conflicting reports here that he bought a holster for one of the guns, or he bought two holsters for the two guns that he had acquired.
2: And he bought batteries for a flashlight.
1: Correct. Okay. Or he bought batteries as assumed for a flashlight. Now, um, according to the reports, according to the police reports, Sean was alone in the store at the time. There was nobody seen with him.
2: How far are these stores away from where he dropped off Eric?
1: Um, that's that's a good question. I didn't include that in my notes, mm-hmm. um, but he would have been on the road for some time. Okay. Um, it, it wasn't like he dropped off Eric and then drove around the block and pulled into Walmart.
2: Right. So it could be a half an hour to an hour or so.
1: Yeah, I think it was more like uh, forty-five minutes to an hour to okay. the Walmart. So he could have he could have made it thirty some
2: miles, maybe more.
1: Well, and. On top of that, though, there was another. The second sighting of him was at a gas station, and this gas station was even further from mm-hmm. uh, where Eric lived. Now, I can say that this small gas station was located in Franklin, North Carolina, and the gas station was named Car City. There, Sean Jr. purchased a can of Coke. He paid for it with cash. Now, not only did Sean have guns, but according to the security footage at the gas station, Sean had a lot of money, presumably from the drug sales that he had just made. Right. So apparently he had a wad of money in his pocket that was so large that he was like having trouble removing it from the pocket to pay for this, you know, single oh. can of soda that he purchased at the gas station.
2: <laughs> you go and buy a Coke. <laughs> I'm just a little thirsty. I'm going to stop and get a Coke. Uh, That would be $0.79, cents, sir. <laughs> you can't get your money out of your wallet.
1: Well, I actually think that the, the purchase of the soda was like a secondary reason for the stop, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Now, regarding the, the wad of cash, mm-hmm. it's actually believed that Sean had about $1,700 cash on him at this time.
2: Yeah, and coming from the world of banking, I mean, depending on what denomination you get that in, I mean that can be a, you know stack of you know stack of fives, stack of tens. Tw- you know what I mean,
1: we dude, keep- I used to bartend for a living. I, I I would have a big wad of cash, and my friends would be like, "Man, you're like rich." I'm like, "Yeah, this is two hundred dollars." Yeah, <this laughs> I'm little, hoping it lasts me the week. This
2: you know yeah, this all fits in a, a suitcase, but uh, <laughs> but it's only two hundred and
1: five dollars. Yeah, uh, so. Now, while Sean was at the gas station, he asked for directions. And I actually believe this to be the main reason for him stopping at this uh, Car Car City gas station. Right. Because I believe Sean to have been lost. And we know he was unfamiliar with this area. And he's traveling by himself at this point.
2: And he doesn't have a cell phone. Does he have a cell phone? He does. He, and he does. So he doesn't have GPS on the cell phone.
1: Um, That I cannot answer that question i don't know if he has gps or just does not know how to use it right but for whatever reason he chooses to stop and ask for questions directions my my other guess though too is um you know what i mean if he's going to program his phone does his phone work real well in this location
2: yeah it could be bad service or i mean or it could just be a cheap phone i mean again he's a drug addict and it sounds like if he's doing math, you know, to to think that he'd have the newest updated top-of-the-line iPhone, I I just don't see that happening.
1: Well, from the video at the gas station, it was determined that Sean Jr. was alone in his vehicle. Now, this was on December 21st, 2015 at approximately 6.55 p.m. Now, at this time of year, We should note that it's already dark at this time when he's traveling. So just after Sean left the gas station, he was on his phone. This is how we know he, he did have a cell phone with him, right? He was on his phone with his, who, this is always difficult in these cases because we see these situations where people are reported as girlfriends, -girlfriends, ex-girlfriends, ex-wives. Uh, he was on the phone with Brandy King. Okay, Uh, it's been reported as both ex-wife or girlfriend, whatever. What we do know is, according to his mailing address, Sean Jr. was supposedly living with Brandy at this time.
2: All right. So there are a couple.
1: Yeah. Well, we know that he was traveling on 64 West, and this is while he was talking to Brandy King but he would eventually lose cell service. Now this is one hell of a phone call because it sounds like Sean and Brandy were arguing before he even left to go to North Carolina. Like she knows what he does, right? She knows that that he's selling drugs, that he uses drugs. I think, you know, he's probably telling her, look, I'm just selling them. I don't use them. Uh, I think he's also telling her things like, look, I just need to make one big score and then i'm getting out.
2: right, right, right. and
1: i think he kept telling her, "Hey, let me go do this north carolina thing and i'm going to get out. i'm going to make a bunch of money and then i'm going to get out and I'll go get a real job and and straighten myself out." So, they're already arguing before he leaves. Now, now he's on his way back, which would make brandy happy. However, on this phone call, he's telling her that he's lost and that he doesn't know where he's going. He he actually tells her he didn't even know what road he was on. The road that he tells her that he's on, I don't even know if it was anywhere in the area because he gives two different numbers. I think he listed something like I I could be on 441 or 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 415. You know, he doesn't seem to even know what road he's on. Now, we do know that he was on 64 West. We know this because we see him on the surveillance footage at the gas station leaving, heading on that road. Right. So. Not even knowing what road he's on, but before he drops the call, the call drops, Sean tells Brandy during this conversation to tell his kids he loved them in case something happened to him. Now, Brand- Yeah, Brandy asked him why he would say that, and he responded that he thought he was being followed. Okay. And then seconds later, he lost cell service. So Sean was on Highway 64 and lost service while talking to Brandy. This was at approximately 7.15 p.m. In the days after the 21st of December, Sean's mom, Kathy, had been trying to get a hold of her Sean through Facebook Messenger for days. He never responded, which was unlike Sean to not respond to his mother. From the 21st to the 26th, Brandy searched high and low for Sean. She called everybody that he knew, text everybody that he knew. She even checked with jails and hospitals to see if he was found. Nothing, no sign of Sean. But on December 26, 2015, Sean was reported missing by Brandi King. She knew that if Sean was not home to see his kids on Christmas Day, that he was not coming home and maybe not coming home ever again. Thanks to all of you out there for listening. Thank you for telling your friends. Please join us back here in the garage tomorrow for the conclusion of the missing persons case of Sean Patrick McDuffie Jr. Until then, you better be good, please be kind, and don't litter.